Psalm 119, I point out the verse 125 initially. I am thy servant. I am thy servant. David is the servant of the Lord. There are two words in this section that commence with the letter Ayin. They're each repeated three times. One of the words is a noun, and another one of the words is a verb. And it is the noun that is in our text, servant. I am thy servant. It occurs there in verse 125. It also occurs in verse 122. Be surety for thy servant. And then again in verse 124, deal with thy servant. So this is a pronounced thought in his mind as he comes into this room that he is a servant. And the pronoun occurs the three times as well. He's God's servant, thy servant. So he's coming in here to this section with a great sense of his responsibility to God, chiefly a servant and a servant of the Lord. Remember how the apostle very often commenced his letters? Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You remember when he was en route to Rome? He had all the sailors around him in the midst of the storm, and he was reassuring them, and he said concerning God, Him I belong to, and Him I serve. I'm a servant of God. And that's what David feels as well. Particularly in this room, he's focusing his thoughts to think upon himself as a servant. And he's saying this humbly when he says, I'm a servant. He's not saying it with pride. He's saying it with a profound sense of gratitude and gratefulness to God. I am thy servant The marvellous grace of God alone has brought this into his life. Before one becomes God's servant, you see, he has to leave the old master. We had an old master. We were in bondage to Satan and to sin. And before one can say, I am thy servant, he must be redeemed from Satan and from sin And David has been redeemed by the Lord and he's now the servant of the Lord and the child of God is able to say today the very same thing. If you're a Christian, you're saved and you're saved to serve and you should be reminding yourself, I am the servant of the Lord. You must never forget that. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been purchased out of the slave house and you've become the bond slave of Jesus Christ. You belong to your faithful saviour Jesus Christ. You're not in Satan's service anymore. You're not in sin's service anymore and you ought not to yield your members to that service. You belong to Jesus. Paul said, God be thanked. You were the servants of sin but you've obeyed the gospel from your heart and you've been delivered and you've been made free to become the servants of righteousness. So you serve the Lord and you serve righteousness 
And you must never forget this. It's a fearful responsibility. And David is mindful of his responsibility. But it's also an unspeakable honour to be the servant of such a master. Remember the Lord Jesus said, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, my servant's going to be there too. He'll never be far from my presence, watching me, looking to me. And he added, If any man serve me, him will my father honour. So it's a great honour to be the servant of Jesus Christ. David comes into this iron room with a deep consciousness of being a servant. And it's seen at the very start of the section. Because what's the first thing that he says when he comes in as God's servant? He says, I have done. He's speaking as a servant. I have done justice and righteousness. This brings us to this other word that occurs three times. The verb to do. The servant is interested in doing. The servant is interested in working. He's a doer. A doer for the Lord. A doer of his master's will. You remember that centurion who had his faith in the Lord and wanted the Lord to heal his servant. And he sent a word to Jesus and he says, I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go. And he goes. And I say to my servant, do. And he does. He has a word of authority and the servant hears it and the servant does it. That's what the servant does. He's a doer. He hears the Lord's word and he does. And so the verb will be the most important verb in a servant's life. The Bible says, be ye doers of the word of the Lord. And not just hearers, deceiving your own self. So if, if we're servants of the Lord... We ought to be doing and be doers of the Lord's will and of the Lord's word. You see, that's what we're going to have to give an account of, of our doing. And it's on that basis that the the servant is going to hear the Lord's well done. Well done! You have that verb again? Do, done, done, have done. Well done! Good and faithful servant. So, the noun servant, the verbs do inseparable and they're occurring frequently throughout this section and this doing that David does is in relation to judgment and justice and that just means I do right I do justly I do righteously I do according to the judgments the right judgments of your word You see, a lot of Christians, they get all worked up on the will of God as if it's some mysterious thing, some high-flying thing that you can hardly discover. But it's all really very simple. A Christian just does right. Nothing complicated about that. In your walk through life, you just do right to others, you do right to yourself, you do right to the Lord. What is right and what is righteous? And the Lord has showed you, O man, what is good. And what it is that the Lord requires of you to do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. And the man of God can say, I have done. I have done judgment 
and justice. Now, of course, we must never forget that we have a, a great pattern in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ could say this word. And he's the only one who can really say it truly and completely and perfectly so. I have done justice and judgment. I have done righteousness. See, our master, Jesus Christ, he was once a servant. Didn't we read that in Philippians this morning, chapter 2? He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And he was obedient unto death. Do you remember he arose from supper and he put on the servant's towel and he went around with the bowl and he washed the disciples' feet. I am among you as he that serveth. He was doing the humble tasks as a servant. Our master was a servant. We must never forget this. You see, we could never become servants of him unless he become a servant for us. So he says, I came to serve, to minister, and to give my life a ransom for you. The forgiveness of your sins. I had to serve to save you. I had to serve to cleanse you and to wash you and to justify you. I had to serve to make you mine. That's a tighter hold on us in our service. We ought to serve such a master. Amazingly, he served to get us. So there is a responsibility of gratitude and love that he had for us. Now, whenever David says this, then he's, he's following the pattern of his Savior. But is this an honest report that David gives to God? I have done judgment and justice. Has he really done that? Has he done that every day and all the time? Well, generally speaking, yes. Neither were occasions when he didn't. We know that. He's not perfect. There's no believer perfect. But the main course of his life was doing right. In fact, the Holy Spirit says, David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice, the very same, judgment and justice unto all his people. So the Holy Spirit says the same in Second Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. But that doesn't mean that he was perfect or sinless. But it does mean that he repented of his shortcomings. He was humble for them and he confessed them and he found forgiveness for them. And that the main inclination of his life was endeavouring to please God, to serve God, to obey God. And that's every Christian. The main thrust of a believer's life should be wanting to just do what is right and please God. We fail, we repent and are forgiven, but our inclination ought to be to that. And we ought to be able to tell the Lord, I've sought to do judgment and justice today. I've done it. The servant of the Lord is a righteous man. And of course that doesn't mean that we won't suffer. You see, whenever you do justice and judgment in the world, you'll suffer. Because it's a wicked world. They don't like righteous people. They don't like people who are honest and just and oppose sin and immorality and wickedness. So we're in a world where those who are righteous suffer. Which is why he goes on here to say, I have done justice and righteousness, judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Would such a good man have oppressors in his life? 
Would such a good man find people opposing him and making his life hard? Yes. Didn't Jesus find that? He was righteous. He was utterly righteous. Gently righteous. A good man. And yet he was crucified. His oppressors crucified him to the tree. So the righteous will suffer in this world for their righteousness sake. The Bible says that. Blessed are you if you suffer for righteousness sake. It's going to happen. So David is oppressed. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Here it is again. So he he does God's will, but he finds opposition from the wicked, from the proud, the oppressors. You see, the devil will make you pay for being a righteous servant. The greatest oppressor is the devil and the demons. They are the ones behind all the oppression that we receive, even at the hands of men. It's the devil and the demons. These are prayers against the devil and the demons, the real oppressors of God's people. The servants of the Lord are in a warfare. And it's not against flesh and blood. Whenever you feel the oppression of men, congregation, you must remember that the devil and the demons are behind them. And very often the devil is in them. They're blinded. And they're being used by Satan. And you must remember that. And if you remember the real nature of the warfare, and that it's not against just flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and demons and demonic powers, whenever you realize that it's a spiritual warfare and Satan is behind it all, if you keep that in mind, it will enable you to pity and to pray for your oppressors that the devil uses. Because you must remember, however badly they treat you, They're blinded. The devil has blinded them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't realize because they're they're in darkness. They don't know anything else. They haven't got the light of the word. They haven't got the grace of God. And they don't know. You remember the Savior on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. The devil has blinded them. The devil's behind them. You see, the, the Lord Jesus saw who the real oppressors were. Not just blinded men, but what was behind those blinded men. Those blinded men, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they do. The warfare is spiritual. They don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So those people who give you a hard time, try to remember this. And pray for them. Try to have pity. The Lord says, love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you. How is it that we can do that? When we know that they don't know what they do. They don't really know how deep in hell it's going to bring them. They don't really know how intense the torments of God will be upon their soul forever and ever. Because of that, they don't know. And so we should pity them. And pray for them. That the Lord would forgive them. And David David does this. So when David prays against his oppressors, he's not praying that they won't oppress him. Because they're already doing that. And they'll continue to do that until the end of time. They did it to the Lord, and they'll do it to the Lord's servant. 
He isn't asking that the Lord will stop his oppressors. What he's asking is, Lord, don't let them win. Don't let them get the victory over my soul. Don't let them overcome me. Don't let them rob me of my joy. Don't let them rob me of the graces of God in my heart and life. Don't let them rob me especially of the ability and the desire to continue to do what is right. See, that's the danger of oppression. I'll not do right anymore. I'll not do justice and judgment anymore. That's what the devil wants. Not that he just wants to hurt you. He doesn't want you to do right anymore. And so all this oppression is to stop you doing right. If the oppression succeeds in that, then it's the devil's had the victory. And this is what David's praying against. Lord, don't let them have the victory. Don't let them make me do wrong. They want me to go down their path. Don't let me go down their path. To leave God's service and to stand in the path of the devil. Lord, never, never let them achieve that, that end. And that's what David's praying against. Don't let them make me sin, Lord. That's why the devil oppresses you, to make you sin. And when you sin, he's glad. And this is why David prays the way he does in verse 122. Be surety for thy servant. You have to guard me, Lord. You have to ensure that I won't fall into the ways of sin. You have to stand by me. You have to guarantee, Lord, my protection in this business. So he's a humble servant who's in a dangerous world and he needs his Lord just to guard him and to keep him and to be the surety of his well-being in the journey through life. Make me sure and secure as your servant doing good. And so you see the servant doesn't only do for his master. He also makes requests of his master. This is a prayer. The Lord is such a good master that you can ask him things. You can converse with him. You can tell him your needs. You can tell him your problems. He's not a master who is uncaring. He's a master who cares. And so the servant who's feeling vulnerable, who's feeling the heat of the battle, he can come to the master and say, Lord, be surety for me, please. Be my defense. Be a hedge about me. Keep me. So he's looking to the master. He's trusting in the master. That's what a good servant does to him. He doesn't only do, he believes. He trusts. Trusts and obeys. He looks to the Lord. Be surety for me, Lord. I'm looking to you. You're my help. I'm on your business, but I can't go on it without the Lord. And so he's, he's looking to the Lord. He's depending on God. He has this faith. And those are the two rules of the Christian life. Trust and obey. There's no other way. So he knows his Lord is, is a redeemer, is a, is a surety saviour for him. One who will stand by him and help him. David knows the Lord won't let me perish. Didn't the Saviour say, they're in my hand, I'll keep them, no one will pluck them out of my hand, I'm surety for them. David's just praying that, Lord, you've said it, you said you're going to keep me against the falling into the sin through the oppressor and perishing, so Lord, keep your word, 
I know I'm an unprofitable servant. I know I'm no match for Satan. I know I'm weak and vulnerable and feeble. But Lord, let me be in your hand. Keep me in the hollow of your hand. So you can look to the Lord as you serve him for for the safety. He'll forgive your shortcomings. And he'll pardon your failures. And he won't let you perish in the hands of Satan. And then verse 123, that reminds us that he can't take his eyes off the Lord. Mine eyes feel for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. You see, one thing the servant needs, he has a, a sense of his weakness, a sense of his insufficiency, a sense that he can't do it on his own. And that comes across in this section. And so he's always looking to the Lord for help, always looking to the Lord for grace, always looking to the Lord for that enablement. And he considers himself to be such a servant as he can't take his eyes off the Lord for one minute. That's why he says, my eyes are failing. I'm not stopping looking to you, Lord. I'm not stopping looking to your grace and to your help. That's a good servant. Always looking, looking to the Lord. As the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters. And as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress. So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. So unceasingly the servant needs God's saving grace. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation. Unceasingly God's servant needs the word of righteousness from God. And for thy word of righteousness keeping his eyes on the Lord keeping his eyes on the Bible he's just a poor and needy servant who needs the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy because that's what you need when you're fighting Satan that's what you need when you slip up and fall in that difficult struggle against the world the sin and your own flesh you need mercy you need the Lord in fact he goes on to pray about mercy in verse 124, deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy. He can't talk about this business of serving God without coming to the mercy of the Lord. Now, why does the servant have to ask for mercy? Well, it's quite obvious. He has a sense of failing. He has a sense of coming short. He has a sense of not doing the will of God the way that he ought to do it. A sense of not being what he ought to be in God's work. Maybe sometimes he feels he, he hinders and hampers the work more than anything. Maybe he thinks he's useless. He certainly thinks he's unprofitable. Maybe sometimes he even thinks he's doing the work of God harm because he's such a poor servant of the Lord. And of course, he needs mercy. As we all do because we're, we're not only unprofitable servants, we're, we're even worse than that. And we need mercy. And this is the thing about our heavenly master. He shows mercy. You see how that comes in there after the word. Mine eyes fail for the word of thy righteousness. He's been thinking about the word of righteousness. And you know when the word of righteousness comes to you. What does it do? It convicts you. It makes you say. Oh I haven't done that. Oh I've come short of that. Oh I've sinned and done wrong in that matter. The word convicts you, even as a servant of God. And you have to say, Lord, deal with your servant in mercy. This word of righteousness has come to me. It shows me what I should be doing. It shows me what I should be. And I feel so often, so Lord, 
deal with me in mercy. You couldn't possibly think of the word of righteousness and not be convicted. And the servant is praying for mercy. Even God's people need mercy. God's people every day need the forgiveness of all their sins. They come short, but still come short of the glory of God. Deal mercifully with us, Lord. God be merciful to me, the, ser- the servant of the Lord. And so he's certainly not self-righteous. We've seen that very often in the psalm. This isn't a self-righteous man. This isn't a Pharisee who writes this psalm. This is one who feels himself in need of God's mercy. And he knows that his master is merciful. That's the thing. He knew the devil had no mercy. But he knows his heavenly master is altogether merciful. That his master's mercy is higher than the heavens. That his Lord is rich in mercy. So it's easy for the Lord to deal in mercy. Because he's so rich in it. And the servant knows this. The servant never despairs of his master's grace. The servant never listens to the devil and says, your master will not forgive you for that. Your master will be hard. You're finished now, lad, because of that. No, no. My master is gracious and he died for my sins. And he has mercy for me. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he knows that it's a good thing to depend on the Lord's mercy. This word deal, 124, that's the verb do. The servant does. But here's the servant wants God to do. Lord, I'll do justice and judgment. You do mercy. You do mercy with me. Imagine being able to say that to your master. I want you to be a master who's a doer. I'm a doer for you, Lord. I want you to be a doer for me. Do with me in mercy. The Lord delights in such a prayer. He loves mercy. He loves to do mercy. And the servant knows it. So so be a doer, Lord, in mercy to me. Deal with my sins. Pardon my shortcomings. Cleanse me from all iniquity. And we can have the boldness to do that. We can have the boldness to plead with the Lord, our Master, because he died for our sins. He's going to delight to forgive us when we humble ourselves and repent. So by Christ's blood, we can plead for this mercy with boldness, believingly. And we ought to do so. So he's never never a self-righteous servant. And then the servant must pray for teaching and understanding. Verse 124 at the end, teach me thy statutes. Verse 125, I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. You see, the order is right. Mercy. And then teach me. We need to have mercy first of all and then we need the Lord to teach us. We can't be taught unless we're humble. We can't be taught unless we've been forgiven. Unless we've been freshly cleansed and come to the Lord's feet and get the cleansing and obtain the mercy And now we're in a position to be taught. Lord, teach me. Give me instruction. You see, we're not only servants who are sinful and need mercy and cleanse, but we're also often very ignorant servants. Very ignorant of our Lord's will. Very ignorant of what we ought to be doing. And we need the Lord to do these things for us too. We need two great things. We need a fountain to wash us. And we need a school to instruct us and teach us. And we have both. 
because we have the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb and we have the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit all at our disposal so we can pray for both mercy and for teaching and instruction. And the servant, the true servant, loves God's school. He loves the Bible. He loves the word of God. He loves to be taught. He prays for teaching. So the servant of the Lord has a desire for this. He, he wills to do this. He wills to know the God's will and mind and to get it from the word of God. He wants to do, but he can't do without being taught. He has to hear the word too. And so he loves to hear the word in order to obey it. He loves the learning time. He loves the hearing time. He loves to be under the preaching. He loves to read the Bible. If you're a servant of the Lord, you should love his word. And should be praying that the Lord would teach you from his word. So he, he spends time in God's word, in the closet, in the home, in his own house and in God's house. Uh, he expresses this love in verse 127. What does he say Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yeah, above fine gold. You see, the servant loves the word of God. Verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. He loves the Bible. He has a love for the scriptures. And that's what makes him grow. And that gives him the strength to serve the Lord. And that helps him to know what he ought to be doing as the servant of the Lord. So he's very close and very attached to his, his Bible. And his love grows. And it intensifies. His love so intensifies that he even learns to hate. I hate every false way. You see, when your love for the Lord intensifies and your love for the Word intensifies, it'll manifest itself in hatred to the opposite. To the false. To the lie. To the error. To that which is against God. You know, you couldn't possibly love the Lord and not hate things. If you're a servant of God, you ought to be a lover and you ought to be a hater. A lover of God's word, a lover of God's people, and a lover of God's ways, and a hater of the wicked ways of the wicked, and of Satan and all his hosts. And so you'll notice he says every false way. I hate every false way. He doesn't pick and choose. No, Lord, I'm your servant, and you've so taught me from your word that everything that's contrary to it, I, I, I just abhor. Every false way. Not just the false ways in other people's lives and the false ways in your own life, you just read them. No, every, every false way. And finally, we come to 126, which I've left to the end, back to verse 126. It's a strange word from a servant to the master. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. That's this verb to do again. Imagine the servant saying to the master, Master, it's time for you to do. It's time for you to be working, Lord. You're my master. It's time for you to be working. This is boldness, I can tell you, in a servant of the Lord. Imagine some servant coming to the master, an earthly master. Get up, master. It's time for you to be doing this. We don't talk to earthly masters like that. But David talks to the Lord like that. You see, there's some things a servant can't do that yet have to be done. And only the master can do them. And there are times a servant has to come before the master and say, Lord, it's in your hands now. You have to do it. Now, the Lord is often telling us this. It's time for you now to be up and doing serving. 
The night is coming, the day is far spent, the day is near over. It's time to be doing. It's time to be obeying God. It's time to be repenting. It's time to be finding forgiveness. It's time to be reading your Bible and hearing the word of God. It's time to be serving the Lord. But many times the Lord's telling us that the time is short. While it is called the day, he says, work. But this verse is not the Lord calling the servant. It's time to do. This verse is the servant calling the master. It's time to do. It's an amazing verse, I think. The servant tells the master. We stand aghast at this verse. It's a marvel to us. It's a bold servant indeed. And it's boldness. Our heavenly master delights in. Yes, it is. You see, the, the servant, as I said, he knows there are things only the Lord can do. What's the problem? They're making void thy law. They have no regard for your word. A world of wickedness, a world of sin. You know, this verse was never truer than today. There never has been as many people as today making void the law of God. We're at the pinnacle of human history in regard to this, making void the law of God. If there was ever such a time when this was true, this is the time. They're making void thy law. An abundance in every department of human life, in every society, in all nations. Seven billion. Seven billion inhabitants of the world never peopled as before this present earth. They're making void thy law. Is it not time for you to do, Lord? You see, the servant's concerned for God's glory. There's only so much he can do. What does the servant then desire from God when he says this? It's time to do, Lord, because they make void your law. There are two possibilities. Judgment. It's time for you to judge them. Time for you to punish them. Or mercy. I choose the latter. Certainly in this Christian dispensation, this age of gospel grace, it is the latter. They're making void your law, Lord. It's time for you to work. To work in their hearts. To work where I cannot work. The text doesn't say either way. It's for the Lord to decide what he does, whether to judge or to give mercy. But there is no uncertainty as to the desire in our hearts as Christians. Because we're under grace. We're under the Sermon of the Mount. We're under the Lord Jesus Christ who has fully revealed the grace of God. There is no question in our minds what we should be praying when we say, Lord, it's time for you to work. You have made void your law. What we are praying is, Lord, work in their hearts. Give them repentance. Bring to them the grace of forgiveness. This is what the servant prays for. Only God can work in the heart. To turn the heart. So they no longer make void God's law. So that they keep and obey God's law. And that's what we ought to pray. For the salvation of men. The worst of men. I do not think that we should pray for the judgment of men. You know not what spirit you are of. Should you pray for fire to come down on sinners. We have the mind of Jesus Christ. Who humbled himself and gave himself for sinners. And that mind should be in us. We should desire the salvation of all men. Even the worst of men. But we can't work in them. We can't change them. We can't make them repent. But we can pray to our master and say, Lord, you do the work in their hearts. So it's a good prayer. Perhaps a good note to finish on. And I do finish on this note. Is to ask ourselves, has God worked in us? 
We talked about that this morning to the boys and girls. God working in you. Has he worked in us? It's time for you, Lord, to work in sinners. But has he worked in you? Has he worked in you to keep his law? To no longer make his law void, but to obey his law and to do righteously. Has the Lord worked in you to do that? Pray that he will. That he work in us all his good grace and make us good servants of himself.